Welcome to the Ripple Fishing Report. I'm your host, Brad Long. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ripple Fishing Report. And uh, today's episode is going to be another good one. And uh, we're going to talk to Captain Justin Leake over in Panama City Beach and uh, find out what he's been up to. How you doing, Captain Justin? Brad, I'm doing great, man. It's uh, it's officially fishing season in my book, and so there's nothing else I'd rather talk about. There you go. Me either. Even if it's not, I still <laughs> would like to do this. So, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so it's fishing season, and uh, what makes you say that today versus the last time we spoke? Because our Spanish mackerel have showed up in full force. There's little bait getting sprayed on the surface. There's birds diving. Um, the water is still a little cool. We're running about 64, um, around the pass right now. Yeah. But even though it's a little chilly, um, you know, the, the mackerel are here in good numbers. They have been for about four or five days now and they'll kind of come and go in waves. I shouldn't say it's wide open all the time, but it, it's been pretty steady. And what's kind of odd is talking to some buddies of mine just to the West of us. Uh, they haven't really seen that quite as as good yet but they love checking in with me because that typically is a east to west action um you know so when we start uh catching the spanish really good here it's usually a week later and then destin has them and then pensacola gets them and so on yep and and you know it's funny you mentioned that because uh i've i've talked to brant and lionel and neither have have seen what you're seeing they, they haven't yeah. seen the the crazy numbers. So what's your, you know, uh, well, let me say this. They haven't seen any Spanish at this point that they were, okay. that they were aware of. So, yeah. so you're right. It's, it's starting with you. Yeah. And that's typical. Um, it's funny that the, the first cobia is usually caught West of us first and they migrate, migrate from East to West as well. So common sense would tell you, well, if they're going from East to West, you would start catching them to the East first. Yeah. But that's actually not the case. And I can go into a real scientific reason for it, which makes sense. Um, but to to really simplify it, they follow a water temperature break. It's usually about 68 degrees. Um, and if you look at water temperature charts, that little finger of warmer water usually does push up to the west of us, usually around Destin, Navarre, somewhere in there. And that's why the first cobia, which is not really migrating right on the beach, but basically following a water temperature break, that's why they usually start hitting the beach uh, to the west of us first. Um, and then as that warm water finger pushes up, it kind of flattens out along the beach, and then you start seeing them over here. Okay. Um, but but the, the Spanish are different. They more or less are migrating east to west down the beach. So you're going to see them in St. Joe Bay first. Um, then you'll see them here about a week later. And then you'll see them in Destin about a week later. And then in Pensacola. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. And, and I think everybody realizes that. But but when you, when I, when I, I guess for me and, and the listeners, but talking to each of you guys kind of around the same time frame, around the same topic, which right now is, is it time to come fishing yet? You know, yeah. and it's funny to me how connected it is. And, and I know that, I mean, it's one big ocean, right? So I, I know it is. And, and I think everyone fundamentally knows that, but when, yeah. when I speak to you and then I speak to Lionel and I speak to Brant and I'm hearing, you know, different responses to the same thing. And it's, and it's because of very clear things, like you said, with the cobia, you know, they pop up there first and there's a very scientific uh, obvious yeah. reason for it. Same thing with the Spanish. It's just interesting how connected it is, how thing, how it's, you know, like domino effect almost with some of this stuff. Correct. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, but luckily we have those Spanish because it looks like the rest of the week, as far as the fishing forecast, it, the wind's supposed to pick up, which is, hey, that's March, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, luckily, it's the correct wind. If we, you know, I like no wind at all, but if we got to have a lot of wind, a south wind here um, is going to, you know, it's going to encourage that warm Gulf water to push up here. Right. Um, it's going to basically, uh, what we already have going on with these mackerel and a little bit of bait showing up, it's just going to kind of intensify that. Yeah. So the, the development we've seen, the, the increase in action we've seen, um, that's going to get better and better over the next three or four days. So the Spanish are there. And, and like you just said, that's going to continue to, to increase and, and pick up. Obviously the bait will continue to increase and, and flow inshore. Um, what do you, what do you expect next? Cobia? Yeah, I'm sure there. I would think uh, in the next week there will be the first cobia caught, and especially with the south wind, southeast wind um, is always good for the entire panhandle as far as cobia go. But because again, you have that that finger of warm water just offshore, you know it might be 20, 30 miles offshore, and that south wind is going to continue to push it up here to the beach. And so when you have a few cobias kind of riding that that water temperature break. Um, that wind is going to encourage them to come all the way up here to the beach. Yeah. Not to say you couldn't ride, you may could ride offshore and catch one on a wreck 30 miles offshore right now. Um, there, there are some out there certainly, but to us, it doesn't really count unless they're, you know, up migrating along the beach. That's what we consider kind of the first cobia of the year. Right. The you you can pick them up just about any time, right? I mean, right. they're yeah. always around if you get out. Yeah. Yeah. If you get deep enough on some structure, there's probably cobia there year round. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about the migrators that are right. up on the surface. And honestly, that's the ones, like you said, those are the ones, at least in the panhandle. I mean, you get down in the keys and they're, and they're catching them year round. And I guess they probably target them year round, but they're yeah. not, they're not necessarily sight fishing them. And that's what changes the game for all of us in the panhandle is that, um, for whatever reason. And you know, what's interesting is, is I was talking to Jordan, on uh, the show earlier in the week, and he mentioned that they don't have a, a crazy cobia fishery down there like they do in Destin, and it and it, ha- and it has to do with um they're 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 migrating through, they're just not on the beach all the time, and I guess they must yeah. for whatever reason maybe it's that that thermocline deal or, or the warmer you know water that kind of brings them in or I, I don't know you know but um it's just interesting how how it can be different enough to say yeah. you know that we're going to go cobia fishing but i'm going to go to destin not port st joe and when really yeah. you would think that they were coming up the beach i, I could go yeah. anywhere but well i can give you a, a not an exact reason but this has a lot to do with it okay if, if you look at the way the bottom is shaped south of cape san Blas, okay. um, it stays shallow way out yeah um, it, it just doesn't really drop off you don't get that Gulf stream eddy pushing up there. Like here, you know, we, we can sometimes have that pretty blue water that pushes in. Um, it's warmer. Uh, it has all the sargasm and you have, you see all the mahis and all that. Yeah. Um, you don't see a lot of that south or east of Port St. Joe and it's a different water. It's a kind of a darker, uh, water, a little more, uh, fresh water, I guess, mixed in, I'm sure, coming out of the Appalachian River. That, that's what I was going to say. And, you know, it makes yeah. me wonder if over the years, 
and I'm talking thousands, millions, whatever, if if that sediment pumping in down there has created this big shallow I'm thinking of a little ditch flowed into well a pond. Cool. You know what I mean? How yeah, it no, cre- makes, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I mean you don't know how it was when there were <laughs> whatever cavemen or yeah. whatever down there. I mean it, it could have been a, a a lot of serious water moving in there for thousands of years or whatever that created yeah. this kind of I don't want to call it a delta, but sh- shallower, I guess. Yeah. No, and it is. I mean, really, when you look at the Apalachicola River, uh, it does flow out like into a delta. It looks very similar on a smaller scale to the Mississippi River Delta. Yeah. Um, And so that makes sense that it would create some shallower areas and a ton of life. I mean, I'm not, trust me, I'm not saying that like anywhere is better than the other because uh, south of Port St. Joe and southeast of there, uh, just offshore of Apalachicola, is some of the best reef fishing i mean the natural there's not a whole bunch of wrecks there like there are over here yeah because they don't need it as much there is so much natural limestone bottom over there i mean big ledges and corals and just so much structure natural structure yeah and, and that's all you really got to have amazing yeah yeah well that's you well, know um that that does make sense and and it it's it, i just can't get over it. i mean the more i'm learning from you guys about just the the, the more scientific part of, of what makes this all tick is, is just so interesting. And, and it, it just makes perfect sense to me, you know? Yeah, it does. Sometimes it's, <laughs> I, I like to say it's more theories than it is really facts, but well, and um, may, maybe that's why it makes it. It's not a, you know, there's no, who knows, man, the, the ocean is so unexplored. I mean, yeah. we, we've explored more of space than we have of the depths of the ocean. And, and that's yeah. crazy. Well, I guess, you know, it is a mix of of facts and opinions because some of that I'm saying is factual. I mean, it is shallower. Um, The bottom contours are different. Right. So those those are true. But then we love to, you know, I don't know why. I guess that's human nature. We can never just accept what's there. We have to figure out why is it like that? So then we come up with all these theories of why it it ended up like that. I think it's the fisherman in us, Justin, because, you know, it's we want to know more so we can hopefully be better at our craft. And I, and I, You know, I think that that curiosity, I think, is kind of what why we're drawn to certain things like that, you know. Or we like to tease ourselves and, and make make ourselves think that we're really smart. That's or. Yeah. Or we want the listeners to think we're really smart. <laughs> they, right. they know they know better, at least about me. They, about they've heard I've proven that I'm you know, I'm just a, a voice on this microphone. You guys yeah. are the ones that that know what's going on. Hey, I will <laughs> say as a, a full time professional, I always make sure that I, I make. Uh, make it clear let it be known that these are all opinions they're all hypothesis and uh most of this is probably not true yeah exactly and and you know at the end of the day <laughs> justin best think, yeah best guess think about it um you know you have children i have children how hard is it to get your children to cooperate it, yeah, it, and, and so now we're trying to take this other living thing which is a fish <laughs> and get them to cooperate and it just and children are smart compared to a you know a fish. I mean, it's like yeah. it's just a really tough. I mean, without tapping into the instinctual scientific stuff, um, like kind of what we theorize and and talk about, you're you're not going to have that much success. You might, but if you understand some of this, you're going to be a lot better off. That's true. There's a lot to be said about that. You know, um, I've always heard that ninety percent of the fish live in ten percent of the water. Yeah. Which is why you still have those percentages there to, you know, have the guy that fishes uh, where you would never imagine a fish being. And then all of a sudden 
he catches something might be some, you know, some great trophy. And you're like, well, how did that happen? Yeah. Well, that was that, that, uh, little percentage of fish that lived in that 10% of water that you've never checked. Well, and, and, you know, it's, and I like to think of it this way. It's, it's 90% of the fish that we think we know about. Yeah, that's right. Because it's big and it's deep and we just don't know. And, and as, as human nature, I mean, like you said, I mean, human nature, you think we're bad. Imagine if we were legitimate scientists who were tasked with figuring this stuff out. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like they're sitting around coming up with all this stuff more often. Yeah. I think they would. (laughs) So have you been out? I mean, you've been out some, then it sounds like, yeah. So what, what did you do? Uh, Were you fishing inshore? Obviously you probably fished some Spanish. Yep. Um, I've done that. I've done some uh, trout fishing in some canals. Um, I've uh, yesterday I was out on the beach. Um, if you see my Instagram uh, story, it'll show my co-host Travis Holman shooting rifle. But that was only because my batteries uh, were dead on my boat because I left my battery switch on and all my electronics turned on, and uh, <laughs> for a couple of days. Yeah. And I actually fished Monday. I believe it was, what is it? I don't even, I lose track of days. I fished Monday on my little skiff, sight fishing reds, which was awesome by the way. Yeah. But, uh, so I had a couple of days off of my draw, my big Dorado. Right. And, uh, I left the battery switch on, left all my electronics on and it killed my two house batteries while I was not using it. So yesterday we showed up at the boat to go run the beach and go look for some reds out there. And my batteries were dead. So I got an onboard charger plugged it in and I had a new rifle. And I was like, all right, Travis, let's go run some <laughs> rounds for this thing. And then we'll get back on the fishing stuff. So we yeah. did. So don't, don't think that I'm uh, making a story up about the, uh, the fishing <laughs> we did yesterday because everybody saw me shooting a rifle yesterday. There you but go. We actually did all that in the same one. There you go. Just gotta, just gotta prioritize. I've done that, <laughs> man. And I gotta say, that's an amateur move, Justin. It, I, it's funny. Cause we were actually filming for chasing the sun. Even and worse. I've been up to it. Like I literally have run over a th- I thought back and I can remember the last time I had a dead battery, especially because it was me leaving something turned on over <laughs> a thousand trips. Really? Yeah. Over a thousand trips ago was the last time I did that. So, you know, I guess I was just due for something stupid. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I've done it before, but I, I, I don't have a battery switch on, on my boat. I've debated on putting one in and I just don't want to do it, deal with that much wiring. I just, I'm done fine without it, you know, but I have left my, um, my, my little skiff, all of my house equipment, which is not very much is all wired to the starting battery because it charges. And, That's right. And so um I left my aerator on overnight without plugging in my onboard charger. And yeah. I came back to go out that morning to the same thing. <laughs> and uh I was but you know what? Like you I plugged it in, we we swam for an hour, and then as long as it cranks, we're good. And we took That's it. right. So I mean it, yeah, it was yeah, it was fine. Luckily, modern outboards um actually put out a pretty good charge. I can't remember how many amps, but it's pretty high. Yeah. Um so it, you're right. It, if you can get that thing cranked up, let it run for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, it's going to put enough back in that battery to be able to crank it over and over again. So, yep. so that's what we ended up doing. Yep. It was a rookie move for sure. And then, Oh, you talk about killing me. It was like <laughs> slick calm. It, it warmed up and we were sitting at the dock 
but anyways, you have to watch the show to figure out, see the rest of it, how, <laughs> how it works out. Yeah, that's uh, you know, man, I'm I'm teasing you about the amateur move, but it just happens, you know. I that's mean, right. you, you get caught up in what you're doing, and and for you, a lot of it's probably force of habit. I mean, you're on that boat on and off every day, yeah. and you know, for me, it it's a more rare occasion. I don't want to say, oh, I never get out there because I do, but it's not every day, and so I'm super funny about check this, check that, is that off? I mean, I just kind of run through this list of all the crap that when you yeah. have a boat, you got to deal with, and so. Um, yeah, and an older boat on top of that. So, you know, yeah, no, you need to, you need a routine. And that's what messed me up is I have a very strict routine. Um, you know, it takes me about an hour before I go fish to, you know, maybe an hour cleaning up when I get back. But there are so many things from not only checking, you know, how much fuel you have, because honestly, I don't ever trust a fuel gauge on a boat. Yep. So I actually uh, use a, a fuel flow meter. Um, every time I fill up, I reset it. So I always know within a tenth of a gallon what I have for fuel. Um, wow. Yeah, but just re- refilling my, you know, freshwater tanks, plugging in an onboard charger, cleaning tackle, cleaning the boat. Um, you know, putting bait in a pen. I always have bait in a pen ready for the next day. Like just, I go through this very lengthy routine f- from putting tackle up, getting it out, you know, getting the boat set up in the morning. Um, because there's so many things that can go wrong. It seems like every day you go fishing or go on a boat in general, there's basically a hundred things that should fail and ruin the day. And it's your job to, to go through that checklist yeah. and prevent those things from happening. And if you don't, if you just expect things to work and, and this day is just going to happen on its own, oh. you're going to fail. Yes. And even if you have checklists and even if you try hard and even if you do all the things <laughs> that you're supposed to do, it will still yeah. fail. No, it's doubt. just, it's just the way it is. And you know, it's funny yeah. I've, I, for the first, and I listen, I, this is my, this is the second boat I've ever owned. And, um, out of, out of the boats I've owned, this is the first time right now that all of my navigation lights work at the same time. <laughs> and they're all brand new. They're all freshly wired. They all work yeah. the way they're supposed to. And I guarantee you, when I bring that boat home from the coast at the end of the season, something yeah on those nav lights will not work. That's correct. I guarantee you. I mean, like with live well pumps, for example, that's another thing to me. I'm always shocked when they do work. Really? I have two live well pumps per live well on a, on their own switch on their own through hole own ball valve. So I can shut, turn on, shut off and, and run them as I need. So like my main live well, I run it off of one pump, 1200 gallon per hour pump. If it, not if, when it goes out in the middle of a fishing trip, I don't fix anything. All I do is I turn that ball valve that on the through hole that feeds it. I shut that one off. Yeah. I open up a ball valve to another pump and I flip a switch to it and I'm back running. Yep. And I expect that to happen about five times a year. Really? And then even to that, I have an extra pump on the boat already wired up with a quick disconnect plug on it that I can literally swap out one of the other pumps and plug in and replace that if needed. Wow. So, I mean, like I try to be overly redundant, but, uh, it, it never fails no matter what you do. It's a boat. It's a saltwater environment. There's a lot of electronics on there. Yep. Uh, it's just a matter of time. 
Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, that's that's smart, though, to have the redundancy um, in, in your line of work because you got to, you know, you have a pay-in client. Um, they don't want to hear that you don't have live bait today because you're, you know, $30, yeah. $30 pump is not working. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, – I, I got to say, though, and, and I'm going to knock on wood, uh, I don't – I replaced mine two years ago, and it's trucking along, but yeah. you are running yours all day, every day. Yeah. And that's, that's the difference. That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty true. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. In the world of fishing guides, in the saltwater world especially, like there's not a lot of middle ground. You see, like, I, my type where – I, I try to keep my boat just completely bulletproof, just clean as it can be. Just, I mean, I try to really overthink everything. Right. It, or the other side where it's just like <laughs> nothing. A, a mess. I mean, wires twisted together. You're, you're trying to hotwire the motor to get it started because these things are getting used so much that that can either be a good or a bad thing. Either you spend a lot of days just trying to keep the boat floating or like me, I would rather prevent those problems from happening. So you go through these great links to prevent them. Right. And, and I, you know, I try to go through the great links on, on mine because I'm the one that does it. I have a friend who's a boat mechanic and he's a fantastic boat mechanic. And yeah. he actually lived in South Florida for a long time, had a, had a shop and like a mobile mm-hmm. business and then moved yeah. up here and married a friend of mine. So, he does all my boat work and I trust him with it. He gives me, you know, good deals and all this, but, um, so I don't bother the mechanical part, like the outboard, but everything yeah. else. And I mean, everything else like wiring, redoing something. I've done so much stuff because I watched a YouTube video where I researched it just to, yeah. to death. And I said, okay, here's what I, here's how I'm going to, how I'm going to do it. And, um, it's, it, it really pays off to do that when it's your own time. Because oh, yeah. if it fails, number one, it's it's going to fail when I'm out on the water, which is not every day. So I'm going to be pretty pissed when that happens. Yeah. And then the second thing is then I got to deal with it or cough up a bunch of money and pay someone to deal with it. And if mm-hmm. I can do it, you know, because it's running a wire or reconnecting something. I mean, I, I, you know, a lot of it I've already done. So I'm better suited to fix a lot of that stuff than anyone else because I know yeah. exactly what, you know. But yeah, and that's one great thing about doing the work yourself is when you do have those problems, you know where to look to fix it. Right. It goes a long way, you know. And, and for some reason, wiring, uh, running wires and rewiring things on a boat doesn't scare me. But when I start poking around and and I'm smelling, you know, gas and I'm doing some yeah. of the outboard, I just don't care for that. And I've done some of it, but yeah. he's had to come back and you know redo different yeah. things that I've done. So. Um, I don't know when it's, when it's your own effort in there, um, it, it stings a little bit more when you got to go back and redo it, you know, uh-huh. but that's all right. It's, that's part of the fun of owning a boat, I guess. Uh, that's, right. that's what we'll call it is fun. Justin, <laughs> it hey. feels like work, but it's fun. Yeah. You know, it depends on what day it is. Sometimes I enjoy the process. Um, sometimes during the project. I changed my mind and I don't like it so much, but it it never fails after the work's done. I'm always glad I did it. Yeah. So right now, and I think I mentioned this to you. I don't know if we were, were on air when I said it, but uh, I've got some C deck ordered that, um, that I've got our podcast logo carved into it for the polling deck and a few other areas. Yeah. Yeah, So I was, I was, I installed that on the polling deck today and put the deck back on, but yeah. So, um, 
when you do things like that, that you you can do it and then see like this really oh, satisfying result in the end of like, wow, yeah. look at that. That looks as good as I thought it would. Then that's fun. But All right. so, so tell us the truth. Did you get it on there straight? Well, yes. <laughs> now, <laughs> I, now, hang on. I have, um, I have put on some. I've got a, I've, I've got a cooler topper, and uh, that looks pretty cool. I had him put a uh, yeah. carve a tarpon into it, so that's pretty sweet. And yeah. uh, kind of a casting platform and a chair or the console seat. But um, so that's got a little. I notice it being a little off, but that's <laughs> that's me. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the polling deck. I think I got it pretty good. I think I got it okay. all pretty straight. I, uh, we'll see. I I'll, I got to I got to pick it apart. Somebody's. You can always tell somebody's level of OCD by looking at the C-Deck application on their boat. Yes. But I, but let me say this about C-Deck, too, if you've ever put it on yourself. When you stick it, it don't matter. It can be... It, that's right. <laughs> whether you're right or wrong, that's where it's going. And it's so there. It, I try, uh, and I've done areas on the boat that are far... I don't, my boat is not completely C-Deck. I kind of did some choice areas. Some some of yeah. them I needed to cover up some, some issues that I... Yeah. I, I structurally fixed and then you know on the gunnels and stuff and then yeah others it's just well i've already got this and that looks cool so i can put it up here because it is awesome to stand on and oh, um, yeah so I, you know i don't know but yeah when you stick it it is there and i and so i've got a little bit of experience with it but um i just i love that stuff man now it, now look I, and let me say this too soda cats yeah hey have you dealt yeah, with that I don't have time to get into my cats and sea deck stories, oh, but I'm glad I am you in got them too. No battle with cats. Matter of fact, if I have a boat here at my house, now I store my my 25 Dorado at, at a marina, way out at the end of a dock with no cats. Right now, I have at times had that boat here at the house. I've had, I always have a skiff here at the house. Um, so when those boats are here, I've had neighborhood cats outdoor cats that love to scratch on it. Yes. And I have had some very nice sea deck work destroyed by cats. Yeah. So they have gone as far as ordering, uh, alarms that go off. Like, um, they're like high pitched noises and flashing lights and stuff. I have fought the good fight with the cats and I gave up. I cannot keep them off a of sea deck. I, I resorted to cutting pieces of plywood to lay over sea deck areas and tie down. To that's the only way I can keep the cats off. Oh, don't tell me that. <laughs> yep, the cats. You, man, it, it's so funny that we met, and and I, and I and I and I'm saying that because of what I'm about to tell you. Okay. I thought I had this revolutionary idea that I was going to get. And I don't even know. I haven't looked for them yet. You're going to save me some money. But I was going to buy one of these little battery-powered, you know, they have those things, like you said, alarm strobe lights that scare animals yeah. off from gardens, right? So yeah. I was like, let me find one that's just a small one, battery-powered. I'll drop it in the cup holder up on the on the console, and it'll just keep them away. Um, yeah. But apparently not. No, it will for like a week. Okay, and then they get used to it. Yep. Ah. I could hear it going off outside because um, I, I – tried a different setting once they got one boat and had already messed it up i was like well this is going to be my sacrificial piece of sea tech that i'm going to experiment with right and uh so i tried the the different alarm settings and i had it where it did the high pitch the loud siren noise and the flashing strobe light all together at one time wow 
And it would be sitting there going off. And of course the cat would look up at the thing. It's like three feet away from the cat. And it would acknowledge at least the presence of this alarm system that I had. Right. And then go back to scratching. Oh. So. See, mine's even it, worse. Mine mine are basically like marina barn cats. Yeah. That are, that are just, they're never going to get rid of them because there's always marina yeah. stuff, you know. That's right. And they leave the barn doors open all day when they're bringing boats in and out and the cats just kind of wander, which has never yeah. been an issue. Yeah. Until I put sea deck on the boat. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have a love hate relationship with the cat because I've had some electronic stuff destroyed by rats and stuff like that. And like you said, like in, in barns, not, not boats too much, but, uh, four wheelers and buggies, you know, side by sides and stuff. Yeah. I've, um, had, I've had that too with lawnmowers and things. Yeah. So, so I love the idea that the cats, you know, keep, keep those, uh, rats away. That's cool. But in a boat setting, the rats aren't a problem too much. Um, the cats, I guess, become the problem. So PSA, if you have outdoor cats, I think it should be your responsibility to keep them from destroying other people's property. Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) Especially if you've ever bought sea deck because they're not giving it away and it's fantastic and it's worth the money, but I sure would like to mess it up myself rather than have a cat do it. Yeah. You know, so if you've ever considered any of the C deck or those foam deck decking type products, um, yeah. if, if you're an old cat lady, you might rethink that, yep. you know, at least protect it, cover your boat, put something over the C deck because it is a great product. It's expensive. Um, it takes a lot to get it on there and it looks great. So once you get it looking great, you don't want it to get messed up by a cat. Yep. Exactly. So if you were going fishing, you're, are you fishing tomorrow? I will be. Yes. Okay. Let, what is your plan for tomorrow? What? So Spanish are out. Um, I, I know, like you said, it's windy. So let's, let's just kind of pretend like the wind is not an issue this time of year. And let's base the base. What you're going to tell me just solely off of what's around and water temperature and, and what you're going to target. How, how would you do that? Um, my top three would be redfish on the flats because even with the good wind, um, there's always some over somewhere to get out of the wind over here. Right. So we, we did that on Monday. Uh, what is, I know we, usually you don't talk about days of the week. on Yeah, a podcast, no, today, today that way you can, Hey, that way you can just make up whenever you want to put this out there. No, this but, will, this is, uh, this today's Wednesday. So we're recording Wednesday. it Wednesday and, and this will yeah. actually drop tomorrow night for first thing Friday morning. For, okay. Well, there you go. That's yeah. a quick turnaround. So yeah, it was Monday. Um, I was just making sure I had my days of the week correct. Yeah, no. So Monday, um, we actually had a fair amount of wind, and I was on my little skiff, and we saw and caught great numbers of redfish. I mean, way up shallow, ankle-deep water, had some really cool tailing shots. Oh, nice. Um, So that would probably be at the top of my list. Um, If I have a family with kids, it's hard to not go troll for Spanish mackerel because – that's just so easy, and it it's not my favorite thing to do. I'll say it up front. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not real high on my list, but it is uh, very productive right now, and it makes a lot of people happy. So yeah. for that, I am thankful for the Spanish market. So that yeah. would be probably number two. Um, and then if I had somebody in between, like maybe not quite skilled enough or you know, just doesn't really want to try to go fight fish the reds on the beach, I would probably hit some of the deeper stuff, the the bridges and the pass and, um, you know, fish, live pin fish, uh, big, heavy jigs and swim bait, 
Um, and there's some bull reds to be caught. So. Yeah. So are you seeing a lot of sheep's head still in the past or around the bridges? You know, there's a few. I haven't fished them at all yet. They're as funny where we fish them out at the tip of the jetties. They're actually rebuilding our jetties right now. Oh, I so saw that. So there's literally barges and cranes and all this heavy equipment, and they are dropping boulders on the tips of the jetties within feet of where all these people are trying to sheepset fish. It's, <laughs> it's a pretty tight little situation there. I bet that um, is, and, and those fishermen are probably not going to back off either. No, they're, they're <laughs> not. No, I'm not I'm not that hard up to catch a sheepset. I'm so. not either. Yeah, you know, um, and it's not that great right now. Are they catching some? Yes. But I would say if you went out there and put in three or four hours uh, targeting sheepshead, you might catch like two to six fish. So it's not like a, a great bite right now, Yeah. Um, but there are definitely some out there to be caught. Well, and we've talked before, you know, I know last year about the, the numbers really aren't there like they have been. They're not. Yeah. And, and so that's going to have an effect too. And I mean, yeah. to be honest with you, you hate to think this way, but having that barge there doing work, um, might help the population, you know, it's funny you say that we've already discussed that amongst all our guides around here. Like it to us, it's kind of aggravating. Cause that is a good option for us this time of year right. and it's something to do. And, you know, but especially a bunch of the, I hate to think of myself as an older guy, but I guess I am. Um, <laughs> but a lot of, uh, more experienced or older guides, are kind of happy they're doing it because we go, well, this might be the first time that they actually get a spring at least a week or two to get out there and spawn and, uh, you know, and get away with it before they get caught. So, yeah, yeah. It, it certainly can't hurt. <clears throat> yeah. Well, man, that's a, that's a solid plan. And it, it, I just can't get over how, and I say this uh, every year. I mean, it, it's, it's similar and really similar. The fisheries, but yeah. there's there the subtle differences are big enough to where it'll you know you guys are are chasing you know pretty good numbers of Spanish and in other parts of the the Panhandle they're just not there yet. It's just so funny how how this transition works, man. It's so neat to to kind of experience it um, in in real time by talking to all all you guys down there. So that's it's pretty neat, and I'm I'm glad that um, we're getting into the spring. You know, and you called it. You said last week that that we would see it in the next week. So here we are. I don't. I don't even remember calling it, but it is what it is. I'm glad I was right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, listen. Tell us how to find you um, online if anybody wants to book a trip. Tell us uh, about your show because you you mentioned filming. So you guys are yeah. still filming shows now. We are. Yep. Um, if you want to go fishing with us, we got seven guides uh, that all work together. It's called PanamaCityInshore.com. I know it's not a real original name. We're inshore guides in Panama City, so it just fits. <laughs> but if you want to catch some TV, um, you know, Saturday mornings on Discovery Channel, we have Chasing the Sun, uh, which is our fishing show here in Panama City Beach that I host. Um, and then we also, all, all the episodes are up on YouTube and the, our website, chasingthesun.com. So if you look up anything about uh, Panama City inshore or Chasing the Sun, you'll find me there. There you go. Perfect. Well, man, thank you for joining us, and uh, I'm I'm excited uh, to hear you know talk to you next week and hear how how you do for for the rest of the week and over the weekend because, um, I you know I, I I honestly haven't looked at the weather, but I know we're still in that it still feels like spring during the day, yeah, and, and that's good enough for me right now. Uh, I'm with you, and and, and I, I'll start asking for more here in a couple weeks. You know, no doubt, no, and, yeah, and I expect the the warming trend to continue. Uh, I do too. 
you know, so I, I know it will through the weekend. So that's, that's a plus right there. And, but Hey, it's March. I would imagine that's why reports this time of the year are, are super important because it changes so quick. Yeah. I'm sure next week we'll get another cold front and all the stuff we're talked about will change. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, and we're going to experience that. I mean, man, as a kid and, and you might remember this cause I know it affected you guys, but when I was like in middle school, it snowed up here in like April. That's right, yeah. And I mean, so if it snowed here, I'm only a couple hours away. It I, yeah. it was cold there at least. I That's mean, right. I'm sure we got a good freeze. Yeah. So it can happen, and it probably will. We're probably not out of the woods yet. But um, it's funny, Lionel and Brant this week have both mentioned, um, and, I, and I can't remember the context, but it was the same type of conversation, that yeah. March 15th is kind of the, the day they look at is like after that things will – you know, stabilize and normalize and we're in spring and we're probably not going to revert back. And, and it's funny that independent of each other, they both set that date. Yeah. And so there's something to that. So, you know, and, uh, you know, and it, and it may be, you know, for you guys in Panama city, it may be the 10th or something. I mean, who knows, but somewhere around middle March, I I think things will typically, because I mean, honestly, if we have, if the whole month of March is a warming trend and then you have a cold weekend, um, that's not such a big deal other than you don't want to be out in it, you know? Exactly. And what, uh, my best way to describe that is, you know, look at the water tone yep. because we can, we can judge the weather based on that day and our emotions. And the, it is, you'll, that's why you'll hear so much discretion on, you know, well, it's warmed up. Well, it's cold, you know, well, well what is it? Because, you know, everybody's got a different opinion right now. It was springtime and the days are so much warmer than the nights. Yep. Um, and then you have these, you know, cold fronts that blow through. So there is a lot of, I mean, you know, our temperature swings are anywhere from 25 degrees to 80. I mean, you're talking about like <laughs> yeah. huge temperature swings. But if you look at the water temp, that's where that, you know, mid-March, March 15th, that's what, to me, what really tells the story. Because you go, okay, we've been riding on 62, 63 for uh, a month or longer. And then all of a sudden in the matter of a week's time, 66, 67. Yep. You go, okay. That's not just my feelings. That's not my emotions. Like, Oh, I'm happy. It's sunny and warm outside. No, something's changing. Right. And it's the water temp because there's a consistent warming trend. The days are getting longer. So we have a longer period of sunshine Yep. and, you know, and then that warm part of the day lasts longer. So, to me, the water temp tells the story, and that's all that matters to the fish. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, with a southeast wind, it benefits cobia fishing. I've, my uncle used to tell me that as a kid. That, that oh, yeah. southeast wind, that's when you want to go. It brings them in tight yeah, to the beach. Right. But the <clears throat> so the southeast wind, it also, you know, it, it may bring in some of these warmer currents and things, too, from, from further down south. I mean, so all that stuff plays in. It's not just, oh, it's comfortable outside. I bet the water's warming up. That's what does it to a degree, but then there's other variables. So, um yep. You just don't know. But, Justin, thanks again for joining us. And uh, for the listeners, go ahead and subscribe because I'm telling you, this is uh, – look, if you don't subscribe for any other reason, subscribe for right now because th- this this is all over the place. Um, and the only way to have it dialed in, if you've got a trip coming up for spring break or or you're coming down there soon to kind of get your vacation year kicked off, you know, anywhere in the Panhandle really, um, you're really rolling the dice if you don't have some kind of idea – of what to expect uh, from from the fishery right now because it can go in a lot of different directions pretty quickly, and um, and and a, you know the podcast is kind of designed to help you sift through some of that and make sense of it. So be sure to subscribe and 
check out uh, Justin's show because um, he gives his spots away for free on there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, but uh, it is a good show, and I enjoy it, so check it out. Justin, well, we will talk it. to you again next week, buddy, and um, hopefully you'll get in them and uh, things will continue to progress. All right, Brad. Sounds good. All right. Thank good you, buddy. You. All right. Thank you.